Hello, I'm Rhiannon. You're listening to Global Questions, the podcast breaking down international news and politics. Today on the show, part two of our in-depth series on technology. Now, over the last few days, the crash in the cryptocurrency market has also resulted in losses of almost about a trillion dollars for the investors. Bitcoin and also the second most popular cryptocurrency, Ethereum, are about 45% and 49% down from their all-time high levels. There is little that's uncontroversial when it comes to cryptocurrency. From its wild fluctuations in energy usage to its links to transnational crime and mysterious origins. Since 2008, hundreds of blockchain-based cryptocurrencies have followed in Bitcoin's footsteps. Moreover, 85% of central banks worldwide are looking at introducing central bank digital currencies in the future, with China pioneering its own from 2020. In this episode, we ask, how have individuals and states responded to the rise of cryptocurrency? What risks and benefits could cryptocurrencies bring? And what will the future of digital currencies look like? The problem is that crypto only works insofar as it can evade regulation, and that creates a number of problems with regulators, as you can imagine. Today's guest is David Gerard, an author and cryptocurrency journalist. We talk about what cryptocurrency is and how it came about back in 2008, the failure of Facebook's stablecoin Libra, and the future of cryptocurrency and what it means for our society. Welcome, David, to the Global Questions podcast. Good evening. I'm really excited to have you on today's episode as we'll be talking all things cryptocurrency, blockchain and the global economy. To kick us off, are you able to give us a brief introduction into who you are, your work and how you became interested in cryptocurrency? Well, I basically have a day job in working in IT, but I have a sort of second half a job as a cryptocurrency journalist. So I wrote the book Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, which came out just in time for the 2017 Bitcoin bubble. I've done another book since then, Libra Shrugged, about Facebook's attempt at a cryptocurrency. I've been following this stuff for years on and off, and then I thought, well, I should write a book. And it was originally just going to be a small self-published thing, but it came out at just the right time and it took off like a rocket. It was supposed to sell maybe 300 and it sold around 15,000. So that's pretty good for a self-published book on Amazon. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. So many of our listeners, I'm sure, have heard the words cryptocurrency and blockchain and Bitcoin floating around. But by way of an introduction, can you briefly explain what cryptocurrency is and how does blockchain, the technology that underpins crypto, essentially work? Right. When I'm asked this question, there's always the temptation to actually explain the technology. But I'm a technologist, and I can tell you the technology is not the point. So the answer to the question, what is a Bitcoin and what is blockchain is, Bitcoin is a promise that you can get rich for free. (laughs) Blockchain, when sold as a technology without cryptocurrencies attached, is a promise you can get organizational efficiency for free. Now. Sensible people know that there is no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. Like, if anyone tells you, hey, I've got one weird trick that says you can get rich without working, the correct answer is, what's wrong with it? But (laughs) people don't do that. So Bitcoin started as an attempt by some sincere extreme libertarians, like not just people who want a bit less regulation, but people who think they could do money and society with no government whatsoever but property rights would somehow still exist. 
They were sincere. I've got to stress that. They weren't crooks. They went out to scam people. They thought this was the best thing they could do. But there's two sorts of people that want money out of government purview. One, sincere extreme libertarians, but two, overwhelmingly, crooks. They love money governments can't see. So more or less as soon as cryptocurrency could be exchanged for money, the crooks and scammers flooded in. Now, if I wanted to explain the technology, I could say, well, the blockchain is an accounting ledger you can only add entries to. But none of that matters. None of the technology matters because the technology is the excuse for the get rich quick scheme. You've touched on, you know, some of the um, kind of complexities around this. Um, How do you think that different countries have responded to different threats and opportunities brought about by cryptocurrency transactions? So mostly it's just been, okay, you've got an exciting new financial enterprise, go out and make a bunch of money. We can tax you Mm -hmm. at least, (laughs) you know, they like that sort of thing. Business, business runs, it means there's prosperity and you can make money and we can tax you. That's been the usual response. So the problem is that crypto only works insofar as it can evade regulation, and that creates a number of problems with regulators, as you can imagine. So 2021 has been nuts. The reason for this is because Bitcoin went up. Why did Bitcoin go up? Well, that's a very fraught question. I think a lot of people, this is important, have forgotten what unregulated markets look like. Because people are really used to regulated markets where you have some recourse when there's shenanigans. When you get scammed by someone you have, you can call the police, you know, or if it's on a If it's an investment, you can call ASIC or something. You know, there is someone you can call. There have been a lot of people who get burnt and discover that actually there was no one doing anything. Same thing happened in Canada. The uh, Quadriga exchange collapsed in 2018, 2019. Then it turned out that all the money had been stolen by the owner. Then it turned out that he was actually a serial con man who had been running Ponzi schemes since he was 15 years old. A lot of people in Canada went, well... Actually, all the people who were into this were a bunch of um, get-rich-quick idiots, but actually having this sort of thing collapse is probably bad. And a $200 million institution collapses, the regulators barely knew it existed. So they put in new laws that declared that all cryptocurrencies on an exchange were securities, So, which is one of the strongest regulations on it in the world, but that's because they just got burnt really hard. <laughs> so... I know Australia's putting in new rules and they, I fear they will be inadequate, but at least it's better than the nothing they had before. Mm. I suppose another interesting example that we've come across is, um, or the failure of a cryptocurrency is Facebook's attempt at their stablecoin DM, formerly Libra. Are you able to tell us a bit about this failure, why it was shut down, and how this failure tells us about the approach of state regulators to to cryptocurrency? As the guy who wrote the book on it, yeah. (laughs) Um, You would hope so. The thing was, when they released Libra, they released this plan, which was written by this Bitcoin economist. Um, It was really stupid and really arrogant about it. Within hours, literally within hours, regulators around the world, that is, financial regulators, ministries of finance, central banks, they're all telling Facebook, under any circumstances, no, this idea is really dumb and bad. You're going to have to give us the full version of this idea. They didn't have a full version. All they had was the barely sketched out plans they gave people. And these plans were 
it, it difficult to overstate how inept they were. But the one thing that financial regulators fear more than anything is the 2008 financial crisis. And Libra's plan was basically one of those. They wanted to have Libra as a coin backed by a reserve of assets of safe debt. And the thing is that, one, the levels of money they'd have to put into that would cause problems. And two, all the incentives were to go for less safe debt because it pays higher interest and stuff like that. So this is why regulators said no and hell no. And somehow this plan was written by an economist who had forgotten what had happened 11 years before. I, I find myself at a loss to understand how he managed this, but he did. There's a lot of this stuff you go, oh, come on, they must have some sort of plan here. And they absolutely didn't. Facebook had not done their homework at all because they didn't think they needed to. Um, they honestly thought they could just override regulators. So they didn't actually shut down DM as they changed the name until January 2022. But really, it was killed dead in July 2019. So the real threat now, of course, is will someone who is not that stupid do it? Will some other company try to do a large-scale systemic private money? The rich guys who want to move their money out of sight of governments absolutely want to do it again. They absolutely want that. Another really interesting case study that um, I find fascinating, and you've written a few articles on this in foreignpolicy.com, is um, a case study of El Salvador where last year they adopted Bitcoin as a form of legal tender. What do you make of this situation? Was was the government right to do this? Was it a huge mistake? What, what are your thoughts on this? It has been absolutely clown car disaster. <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> like, no one can make sense of this idea because it doesn't make sense on any level. The president of uh, El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, he's a populist. He tends, he's very smart. He's a good politician. He's very on the ball. He's not a stupid man. I don't like his policies or the things he does, but he's not incompetent. But one thing he is, is impulsive. He has a tendency to make policy by the seat of his pants, right? With the Bitcoin thing, no one could quite work out what he was on about. It was like, why does this make sense? It doesn't make sense. Nothing about this makes sense. And then he put it into place and it didn't make sense. The big worry was that Bitcoin has terrible problems with money laundering for crooks. So how do you get around that? The way that we've got around it so far is extremely strong controls on the gateways to and from actual money. He wanted to make Bitcoin equivalent to actual money. Um, this would mean that the first thing that would happen is a bunch of crooks would get their bitcoins, cash them out into US dollars cleanly because they were both to be regarded as equivalent cash. So he put a payment system into place. Like they built a whole new payment system from scratch called Chivo. This would be the official national bitcoin software. It turns out if you try to build a national scale payment infrastructure in three months, it's not going to work. Like that's, if you have a payment structure, you have to build it slowly over possibly years. You have to make sure every last dot works properly. Because in a payment structure, the most important thing is trust. People have to trust that this is money. 
and Chivo basically didn't work. I mean, it was just a massive failure all the time. It was absolutely unreliable. So we avoided a money laundering disaster by the payment system not working. I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> I should have because you can't build a payment mm -hmm. system in three months. But they didn't even like take an existing white label system and just put a new sticker on it or something. You know, you can buy systems that will at least do the job. But they didn't do that. They got a bunch of shonky Bitcoin companies to do stuff. Like they got 200 Chivo ATMs, Bitcoin ATMs they set up. They turned out the company that got the contract bought 200 machines from a bankrupt company in China and they didn't have access to the computer code, so they couldn't fix any problems or update anything. Oh, no. <laughs> now, this is actually a bit of a disaster for El Salvador because El Salvador's problem is that no one has a bank account. They don't trust the banks. They don't trust the government with the money. Chivo was a lost opportunity because it could have been a national system backed by the government, proper customer service, reliability, all that stuff. It would have been excellent. A lot of people really wanted this. They wanted something like this. Like you could sell people stuff on the internet, you know. Um, you could have people just wave their phone and buy stuff with one national system that everyone had. It would have been excellent. And they fluffed it. And basically, by about October or November, the government had stopped promoting Chivo. Like they'd stopped having ads. They'd stopped having people manning the uh, kiosks. The, they had Chivo vans which drove around. They put black plastic over the logo. <laughs> I cannot overstate how absolutely clown shoes everything about this has been. It's definitely um, a fascinating case to keep an eye on. We'll be watching it closely. What's, what do you see as the future for cryptocurrency in this digital economy technology? Where is it heading? So the word digital economy technology there, I'll just jump on that one. Because none of the technology is actually technology. The technology at hand is not computers, it's finance, financial engineering. When people build complex financial instruments where part A is leveraged to part B is leveraged to part C, which is hedged by part D and so on, that's the sort of engineering that crypto is. It is financial engineering and it needs really smart financial regulators and basically forensic accountants looking over this stuff. Um, the future of it will, as regulators slowly realize this, and I'm one of the people yelling at them, look, look at this stuff. It's super leveraged against leveraged against leveraged. It's It'll collapse if anything goes down. Um, there will be increasing regulation. We're seeing this already, um, mostly from the money laundering authorities the financial regulators are less keen they have to protect investors so a lot of them are saying yeah this stuff that's for accredited investors or sophisticated investors or whatever but you can't stop people buying this stuff really it can't be banned it'd be very hard to ban um what you can do is tighten it right the hell down make sure that these guys cannot operate without stringent rules on them that are deep, carefully set out. Regulation will be a problem because all of the trading, the vast majority of crypto trading does not happen in, say, the US or Europe or any country, in fact. It's all in offshore unregulated casinos. 
The largest exchanges are Binance, Huobi, FTX. They are effectively unregulated and without a country. I think Binance is run from a hotel room and a bunch of remote workers. Um, and they have a huge volume going through these exchanges. The price is basically set on those exchanges and whatever happens spills back to the, um, say, the somewhat regulated US exchanges, that sort of thing. It's a very bad market. Um, I think that will tighten up. I think we'll end up with a two-speed market. The crypto trading market in regulated countries where it'll be all tracked and um, monitored and there'll be rules around it and it's easy to get actual money in and out and the unregulated crypto market where it's on offshore casinos and it's a bit hard to get actual money in and out um i think the only regulation that the um unregulated guys follow is international money laundering and sanctions and so on like Binance finally dragged their feet for a long time, but said, yes, they would sanction Russian entities. Then it came out in the last week that Binance had actually been feeding information on the Russian opposition to the uh, Russian FSB um, in an attempt to get into Russia. So Alexei Navalny donations, they were actually telling the uh, government about them. So I think the future is a two-speed system. I think the future is more regulation, increasing regulation. I think that this is an asset bubble. This is an economic asset bubble like any other. It will burst. Great. Some great predictions there. We'll, um, we'll touch base in a few years to see how it's tracked out. Look, thanks so much for chatting with me today. We've had a really great discussion. Um, I know you've got um, a couple of books out and you're working on one at the moment. So we'll have all of those linked in our episode description for our listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. That's all for this week's in-depth episode. Join us next week for the wrap-up, Josh and Kelly's fortnightly recap of news from all around the world. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram, memes, quizzes, and regular news updates. Links will be in the episode description. We'll see you next week.